There's nothing wrong with doing sequels. They're just easier to sell. J.J. Abrams. The only reason I would write a sequel is if I were struck by an idea that I felt to be equal to the original. Too many sequels diminish the original. Dane Koontz. I'm a fan of sequels even though they are inevitably awful. Joss Whedon. A sequel is admission that you've been reduced to imitating yourself. Dan Marquis. He's kind of crazy, she's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is the forest, the other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. I'm your host, Jamie Ward. As far as I know, this is the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. Welcome to a continuation of our very special 100th episode, anniversary episode, episode 100-parter. This is part two of our special 100-parter episode. And mark your calendars. This is the first week that I finally remembered to mute the intro music to myself so that I remember not to speak over it. To those of you not familiar with the art of podcasting, and I think it definitely is an art. Uh, Why? Because this is worthless. Um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, So what happens is that I have multiple tracks going And because I'm not recording at the Georgia studio, I'm working on a laptop. And so I have to manually input the the podcast intro theme song in. And a mistake I have made is I have often been playing it while I try to do my intro. So if you notice, for the last, like, 40 episodes or so, when I've been doing the intro... I seem a little bit distracted because I always forget and I have it playing. So I have the music playing in my ears while I try to do my own intro. And then I have to edit it later to make it sound right. Also, what in the world am I doing recording on a Wednesday? Uh, Like I am supposed to be doing. I don't know. Getting my act together? We'll see. Or maybe that's just part of what makes this so special. The special 100th episode. And don't worry if you'd miss a part. You have a hundred more episode actually i mean i guess at this point if you're already listening to this one and you either heard or missed the last one then you have anywhere from 99 to 98 more chances to be part of our 100th episode celebration you might have noticed also we had we had more quotes than normal at the beginning and it seems like most people don't like sequels or they, or they like it i don't know why i chose sequel particularly uh, because this is not a sequel. This is a anniversary episode. It is a centennial episode. And centennial is very different from the concept of sequel. So, you know, centennial being 100. And I, I think, but I, I think the last quote, it's interesting. I think a lot of people would take the last quote that we had from Dan Marquis. A sequel is an admission that you've reduced, you've been reduced to imitating yourself. People might hear that and think of it as a bad quote. He probably meant that as something derogatory towards sequels. But I choose to take it as a very positive thing. Because what, what is that other expression that imitation 
is the sincerest form of flattery. So is it flattering yourself to imitate yourself? Maybe I was just thinking of all these thoughts, thinking hypothetically about what would happen if I decided to have a sequel podcast or, you know, something like that. I don't know. We're not going to do that, though. We are, we are devoted to being a Silver Linings Playbook and the Silver Linings Playbook-based uh, po- podcast. If we, if we were going to have a sequel series, we might as well just start a whole new podcast because it is so cheap and easy for anybody to do it. Obviously, we are proof of that. That, uh, yeah, so we are not looking at sequels now, but I just thought because sequels are sort of in that realm of like something special related to an intellectual property or such that it would be fun to get some quotes on that. Let's also kick off with a really quick list of things. Uh, The top Godfather sequels in order. All right. This is in in ranks, the top sequel uh, Godfather, because people often talk about The Godfather being one of the best films of all time. And that got sequels. Some people think some of the sequels being better than the original, too. So does that make the sequels the best, best movies of all time? That's an interesting thought. Is it possible to be, have a sequel that is better than the original, and yet have the original be better as a work of cinema? I don't know. That is not what we're trying to get into right now. Um... We are here just to talk about Silver Linings Playbook and The Silver Linings Playbook. But really quick, counting, let's count up, all right? From worst to first, all right? Uh, Best sequels to the movie The Godfather. At number two, wait, counting up. Numerically, we're going to be counting down because we're going to start with the larger number counting down with one being the highest, but we are also counting uh, sequentially in level of prestige. I I guess, yeah, we we had a long debate about this and I haven't figured it out and this, we're not trying to settle the philosophy on what counting up or down on the list means. We're just going to count. We're going to call it counting down the top sequels to The Godfather in order. Starting with Number two, The Godfather Part 3, which many people think is the weakest entry in the Godfather trilogy, um, which leads us right into the number one sequel to The Godfather. Number one sequel of all time to The Godfather and possibly one of the number one sequels of sequels in all time. Ready? Drum roll. Coming in at number one, it's The Godfather Part 2 which is, like I just gave away in the lead-up, often considered one of the best sequels in the list of sequels. Did that make sense? Sure, it did. If you listened, if you listened to the words, because I said exactly what I meant. Anyway, let's talk about the future of what the Silver Linings Playbook universe has the whole. What would you like to see in a sequel? As hypothetically, um, I would love to get some listener feedback on what would you name the sequel? Are you a fan of sequels that just uh, take the original 
name of the movie and then say part two or part three, do you like it when they completely change the name? Let's pretend Star Wars didn't have the Star Wars title to go off of because we all know the whole uh, episode four, five, six, one, two, blah, 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 right? But originally, the, the first Star Wars that came out, and, oh, you know what? This is actually a very fun day to do this that I wasn't even thinking about it. It's um, uh, May 25th, which is the anniversary of when the first Star Wars came out. So that just happens to be a random coincidence that I pulled out of my head because I happen to be a big fan of the Star Wars movies. When you listen to this, it will not be, but you can know that yesterday was the real Star Wars day. It actually reminds me of a funny story. I was in I was in Oklahoma City performing at the Looney Bin one time, and there was a bachelorette party, and it was it was pretty well behaved for a bachelorette party, and uh, they they wanted to come up and take pictures with me after the show, and um, some of the the bridesmaids were like, "We brought our friend out here for her bachelorette party. She is a huge Star Wars fan." Now, <laughs> this show, and I'm always going to remember this because it took place on May fourth, probably three years ago, right? They said, she's a huge Star Wars fan. No, wait, it didn't happen on May 4th. They said her wedding was happening on May 4th, right? And they're, they're like, she's going to have her wedding on May 4th because she's a huge Star Wars fan. It's Star Wars Day. That day, May 4th. And I was like, why? I didn't know. I didn't know that that was an internet meme at the time. For May 4th to be considered Star Wars Day, which, and I'll give you in a second why, it should not be Star Wars Day. Today should be Star Wars Day. Um, but my, my question to them was like, why? That's, oh, oh, no, here's how the conversation went. Okay, I'm sorry, I, this has been totally disjointed. They, the bridesmaids said, She's having a Star Wars wedding on Star Wars Day. And so I instantly said, oh, she's getting married on May 25th. And they're like, what? No, Star Wars Day, May 4th. And I was like, that's not Star Wars Day. The movie came out on May 25th. And they're like, what? No, like, May the 4th to be with you. Um, and so I wanted to be like, oh, so you're having your wedding on Stupid Meme Day. I didn't say that, though. I just um, retreated silently into the own prison of my mind that overthinks things and can never be happy in simple social situations. So that's, that's my story about Star Wars Day, I guess. Uh, what? But that was... So, so we all understand how the Star Wars numbering is kind of off. But, like, the sequel to A New Hope, the film A New Hope, was The Empire Strikes Back. Fortunately, they had the Star Wars title, so they could call them different episodes of the saga. But um, I am a person that actually likes when a different movie it has a totally different name from the original movie. Uh, it is the kind of thing where I think, like, just treat them like they are different entries into the same thing. Um, I think it is, I think when you're going, also, because it gives the, it gives the movies an opportunity to stand on their own. Have you ever seen a movie that you didn't realize was a sequel to another movie? I think that's happened a couple times. I don't remember off the top of my head, 
this specifically happening, but I feel like it's something that has happened. Um, so there's, there's that. Um, I think that I would love a Silver Linings Playbook sequel. I actually have written, begun to write this, the fan fiction uh, script for it. Um, it was uh, basically a Quantum Leap reboot, but they're already making a Quantum Leap reboot. So not only is the fact that um, they probably don't want my uh, script for multiple reasons, but also just for legal reasons, it will never see the light of day. But I am doing it, so I will be, uh, as far as I know, Actually, somebody has probably done a fanfiction. Anyway, what are some good titles that you would think? Um, maybe, like, Excelsior, the, the Pat Solitano story, um, Dancing Through Life. That, that might actually be more of, like, a Wicked sequel, even though Wicked is supposed to be sort of like the prequel to The Wizard of Oz. Uh, so that might not... Um, what, uh, Raisin Bran 2, Raisin Bran Harder. I'm just making these up off the top of my head. That wasn't, like, well thought out. I was just thinking, but I, I, I did want to talk about where would the story go in a sequel? It's probably a good idea that they didn't do a sequel. Maybe they could have a sequel and call it American Hustle. No, that would never work. Anyway, no, if you're... That was just a little D.O.R. joke, David O. Russell. That wouldn't work. Um, it would it would work because there was already a movie, American Hustle. So at the end of Silver Linings Playbook, the the movie, we left Pat and Tiffany have gotten together. Sundays become good again. Sunday becomes his favorite day again because they have football. Because he has family, his mom's in the kitchen making crabby snacks with Danny. Uh, Jake comes over and hangs out. Um, Pat has sort of reconnected with his father, so, you know, their relationship is getting better. Pat and Tiffany clearly are together. Uh, are they married, and do they have kids in the future? I want to say I actually have a anthology book with 19 fan fiction Silver Linings Playbook universe stories, and in my sequels... In my eyes, one... Okay, so let me describe... Let me describe my book. Did I talk about my book before? I don't think I have. Anyway, I wrote 19 uh, Silver Linings Playbook fanfiction short stories. And I am working at self-publishing them into a collection that I am going to call Fifty Shades of Play. And that is sort of a reference to multiple things. But it is going to be an anthology of, of tales that follow the continuing adventures. I don't want to say continuing because it reimagines the world. It's very Black Mirror-ish. It is... I, I'll tell you, it's a lot like the uh, sort of sci-fi anthology show on Netflix, Love, Death, and Robots. Where the stories are not really connected uh, narratively. They're not really connected thematically. The only connection they really have is that the characters have 
some of the same names. Some of the, they have literally the same names. It is, um, I'm not going to say the P word um, because I'm not a lawyer, but I feel like that would be a bad indictment of my own project. But, um, okay, no, I was thinking about, it's not, it's not plagiarism, it's parody. It's parody because it's supposed to be fun and build and change upon the work. Also, like, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer, but like, the names Patrick and the names Tiffany are names, right? You could actually write a whole story where those same characters, uh, you know, like have have those same names, but it's not even supposed to be the same characters. That could happen. That could happen in life. And so, I mean, saying my my work would be uh, a totally different thing. So mine are very dark. Actually, here's the thing. You don't have to wonder what they are. They were all fan fiction episodes of the podcast. I basically just consolidated them. I put them on paper, and I am editing them so that I can self-publish. And if anybody wants a copy, I'll let you know when Fifty Shades of Play comes out. I actually asked a whole bunch of professionals. I think I might have talked about that, too, when I went to the Atlanta Writers Conference. Now, let's get into the stories, okay? For those of you that don't remember the dark time in my life, which was basically every day before today, including today and the future, um, I was doing Silver Linings Playbook and The Silver Linings Playbook fan fiction stories in the Silver Linings Playbook extended universe. These were dark stories. Most of the characters died, or or they had already died. Um, there was one that's very much like the uh, Casey Affleck film, A Ghost Story, where it's similar, it's not the same, but Pat is basically haunting his own home where he had died, and Tiffany is just sort of going on living without him and it's about his experience. There is uh, some reference. There's, there's one that is actually sort of both a Silver Linings Playbook fan fiction that is loosely inspired by the Nicolas Cage film Bringing Out the Dead. There is one where they both go to uh, Nashville to get hot chicken from Prince's but they have to hire the Millennium Falcon, so they go to the Moss Eisley Cantina. Oh, there's another, there's another Star Wars reference for today as well. But it's, it's a lot of fun if you like being sad and reading literature that's not written very well. But it got finished. And that is where I try to make most of my... Not literal money, because I don't make money doing this, I'm talking metaphorically, I'm like, that's how I make the money, that's how I, I succeed in my mind, is just finishing things, because we always talk about how, how, like, the 85% solution now is better than the 100% solution later, a hand in the bush is worth two stones in the, bur no, I, I messed that up, and I didn't even, I wasn't even trying to be funny, two birds in the hand is worth a... No, I'm mixed. This is... This is where, if I was a parody podcast, if I was just doing this to be funny, if I was just trying to be a comic, 
I would have commit to messing up those analogies. And then you would know that I was just bad at being funny, that I was making a parody, and that that was not funny at all. Um, so I uh, think that the expression I was mixing up two stone, two, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, and killing two birds with one stone. I messed up those. I, I, the first one. That's the first one. The first one of those two expressions is the one that I was reaching for. A bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And that means uh, ha what you have, absolutely have, is worth more than what you want. Because how many dreams never materialize? Not because they couldn't, but because nobody actually does the things needed to make them happen. Right? So, yes, Matthew Quick could write a sequel to the Silver Linings Playbook. He may have. I don't know. I should look up some of the other stuff he did because he was very successful after his first attempt, his debut attempt at writing a novel. He optioned it as a film before he even published the novel. And it became a very good movie, an Academy Award-winning movie, and it was, I believe, an award-winning book. It was at least a bestseller. And it... Uh, inspired a whole bunch of a it inspired a whole podcast that is on its 100th episode right but let's say this let's say he's planning a sequel to silver lining the silver linings playbook book uh, but he hasn't written it yet i'm and i'm going off of no information except my assumption that he hasn't written one yet. I have written a fan fiction sequel. So, technically, from a, from a philosophical standpoint, my sequel is better than his sequel. Now, I, I don't want to take away anything from if he ever chose to do that. Um, his is probably amazing. Would be great. But until he actually does it, it's not a thing. And mine is. And that is sort of the philosophy I have. And I always try to tell people like why they should just do, do your stuff. Do your stuff terribly. Fail. Fail. Because that is one of the biggest differentiators of things in life. Thinking about things and doing things. How many people want to get into stand-up comedy uh, and never do. I think most of the listeners that listen to this podcast or have ever listened to this podcast, a majority of them, more than haven't, have tried their hand at stand-up comedy at one point or another. And guess what? You were all infinitely better at it than all the people that want to do it and maybe there's a future Bill Burr out there, a future George Carlin, but here's the thing. They haven't done it. You're better than everybody else on the planet. You're part of a very small brother and sisterhood of people that have done it. Think about that. That's one of the smallest minorities in the whole world, and that is the people that have actually done things, and I'm so proud of you. And this, this podcast 
is not just for me. It is a celebration of all y'all, all of us, who do. Who do. And what we do may be do-do. Because it may be not very good. But guess what? It's the best doo-doo there is. I mean that as a metaphor for poop, and I mean that as a metaphor for effort. Doo-doo. Effort, effort. That was really dumb. This, is, this might be the first time. This might be the first time in 100 episodes that I'm disappointed with something I said on here, which is quite a statement, <laughs> because I've said plenty of things that I could be disappointed about. But I, I choose not to. You know why I used to be pretty good at poker? Um, I've, I, I never, I'm not a professional. I've never been ranked or anything, but I played, uh, I played a lot socially in college. And I have played, I have played in uh, Vegas once in a tournament. Like, just, just at a casino, just with um, some friends uh, that, were, that started a tournament. Um, but some of them are, are uh, you know, semi-professional poker players. In Afghanistan, I played poker a lot with uh, one of my captains who had been in a semi-pro and paid for his college playing Atlantic City and stuff. Um, I'm, not, I, I'm not saying, like, hey, I'm so good because I beat any of them. What I'm saying is I held up, held my own against them, and I played pretty hard, and I was a difficult person to play against. And why? Because I have a simple philosophy that makes it very easy for me to to flourish a little bit better than people that might might try a little harder than I do. Here's my secret. Every time a hand is over, I flush the knowledge of the previous hand from my memory. So every hand is my first hand. This might not be a thing that everybody is able to do because it is a little bit of just sort of something that my personality allows me to do whereas not everybody might have the, um, I don't want to say this in a bad way, but like the, the emotional ability to do something like that. But basically, I play every hand like it's my first hand, because in my head, it is my first hand. And what that allows me to do is I don't get too excited. If I played a good hand, I don't get emotionally frustrated if my last hand was poor. It lets me play very neutrally, and it lets me play unemotionally. And that is sort of the secret to, to playing cards at a professional level. You play the numbers, you play the math, you play the statistics and the other players, and you don't play on your emotions and your luck. That is a very similar attitude I have towards my approach in all the activities that I do in life. Have I failed in the past? Now, now here's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't forget the lessons of my previous hands. I don't know how I developed this either. It wasn't like a conscious effort. Because um, let's say we're playing several rounds, uh, several hands. I don't remember what they're called, rounds. Um, so I've played a number of hands against, against the other players. Uh, I will remember things that they do. I remember the lessons of things that have happened. I remember the lessons of attempts I have made at things, and I learn and I grow from them. I'm just saying I've been more or less able to successfully detach my emotional connection to how I did on previous performances. I am, in fact, doing it right now 
where I'm 100% confident that this is a true thing about myself, but I can't even remember any specific examples except knowing this about poker about myself. And part of that is why, because I have forgotten all the things I have tried, but also, um, and, and that's why I sort of had developed, I developed my poker explanation as an example. So I more tell it as a story. I don't even remember any examples of me actually playing poker. I'm sure I did. I have memories like that. I played poker. I still have friends that I talked to that I used to play with, um, or ones that talked to me about the games we played. I just, I don't remember any of them. So, so forgetting has been a very valuable tool. Not being able to remember things has been an extremely valuable tool in my trajectory to where I am today. The unfortunate thing is I don't 100% know if the system is working because I can't really remember if I was successful at things in the past. But you know what? Anything that I have a record of that I have done, I feel successful in. That's why this podcast is one of my proudest accomplishments. It embodies every philosophy that I've just been talking about. Is it a good podcast? Absolutely not. Probably not. I don't know. Is it complete? Yes. I mean, it's not complete as in like it's, it's at its completion. This is not the final form. This is only the 100th episode. This is part two of our special 100-parter episode. And I'm very excited because that means so much to me as somebody who remembers I was talking about starting a podcast years ago. Years. Like before, how many times did I try? I tried to start a podcast within weeks of me starting comedy. I'll be honest, that was in 2009. So I believe I even have an unlisted uh, video, and I believe it's on Vimeo, um, where I had recorded, I didn't even know what a podcast was at the time, so I just recorded audio and I uploaded it with a title card um, on a video hosting platform. I chose Vimeo at the time because I was trying to be like, oh, this is going to be higher quality on YouTube. YouTube wasn't exactly the thing it was at the time. Vimeo was fighting for relevance. And Vimeo still is a very strong platform. It just it serves sort of a different purpose now. I think a lot of people put like fully, um, fully polished products. It's much more of like a filmmaker's uh, distribution network. And YouTube is a much more um, sort of, I don't want to say democratic, but you guys know what YouTube is. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be listening to me and not knowing what YouTube is. Because on the scale of like how knowable is something, the Silver Linings Playcast is way more obscure, specific, and hidden than YouTube. I can also tell because I've looked at the algorithms for past podcasts, and we do not have a huge listenership. Am I proud of the listenership that we have? Absolutely. Because it exists, and it is, I will say, uh, more so than I thought it would be. Like, there's, there's no reason for me to have any of the listenership that we do, and yet we do. Let's actually go into to this and look at some of our algorithms. In the last 30 days, we have had 41 downloads. We have had 896 downloads overall. So 
If this is our 100th episode, that means we're averaging 8.9 downloads per episode. Not bad. Like, not bad considering it should be zero. All these algorithm numbers should be zero. Yesterday's downloads were zero. So that seems more like on track. But in the last seven days, we had five downloads. Who in the world is listening to this? Who's listening? Why are you listening? Why are you listening? I don't even listen. I shouldn't say that. I do listen when I record it because I have a headset on and I'm listening to myself. Um, part one of our special 100-parter episode last week had three downloads. That, uh, that's sort of the average. Episode 99 had four. Episode 98 had seven in the first week and nine in the first month. The one before that had four in the first week, five overall. And that is the five latest episodes. Let's see if we can look up some of our metrics for... Um... Oh, okay. So the most we've had uh, on... On Friday the 13th, May 13th, we had 10 downloads. 10 down. Who was listening to this? Maybe that actually makes sense. Friday the 13th is uh, superstitiously thought of as a bad luck day, and what better podcast? What Anybody who listened to this has pretty bad luck because they should not have time in your life to waste, or actually, maybe that means you have good luck. Maybe you have the best luck if you were able to uh, not worry about your life, the things going on in your life so much that you were able to listen to a podcast that is solely based on talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. Who knows? I really don't know. I... Um, I listen to some other podcasts. We've talked about some of my favorite podcasts to listen to. I really enjoy Script Notes with uh, John August and Craig Mazin. That is one of... Um, I, used to, I used to be torn between that and the writer's panel, and I would go back and forth. I used to like the writer's panel more, but as I've gotten seri more serious about writing myself, I've started to be a little bit more of a Script Notes guy. Because they really help me understand a lot of the nuances of uh, writing trends. They've started having more guests on recently that are talking about uh, TV projects. But I really like approaching things from how does this apply to film writing too. Because I think that's sort of the basis of a lot of where all this stuff comes out uh, from. Um, I believe, like, I think, I think writing a screenplay, uh, a film movie is sort of the harder of the two. And that's not really based on maybe I'm not the one who should be allowed to talk about this, but because I, you know, I haven't done any of it, but I, I definitely think you, you were dealing with in a case of like writing TV versus movies, TV goes on. So you have, you are faced with the difficulty. Yes. Of having more story to tell, and being able to tell more and more story, but that also you have where you have to tell a lot more story, you also get the space to tell a lot more story. If you have more to say, if more happens to the characters, you can adjust the episodes until 
uh, there's time to fit in all those things you need. You can set stuff up. Movies uh, really need to have the full story in there. Actually, you know what? I said that we started off talking about the concept of sequels, which sort of invalidates the whole argument I'm making right now. Anyway, let's get to let's talk about what a sequel to Silver Linings Playbook would be like. Now, in a way, we could talk about what the sequel to Silver the Silver Linings Playbook, the Silver Linings Playbook, is. Because I don't know how you count fan fiction, but my fan fiction exists. It is absolutely a thing. I know there is other Silver Linings Playbook. No, there's there's other uh, Silver Linings Playbook and the Silver Linings Playbook fan fiction online. I've seen some, and we should actually look some up, and maybe we'll get in touch with some of those people. That would be a lot of fun. We'll we'll look into that in a future episode, um, maybe for this special hundred parter. But I know in my in my part of the Silver Linings Playbook Extended Universe and Silver Linings Playbook Extended Universe, Pat and Tiffany have a kid. And he's already uh, a young kid, I think. I think he's eight. I don't remember exactly from the details from the story, but uh, his name is Ethan. Ethan Solitano. I'm not sure where that I got that name. But his name is Ethan. Uh, he, he disappears on an island, kind of like Lost. He was loosely inspired by Lost while, while he's on a fishing trip uh, in New England with, with his dad during one of the episodes. And there's a lot of really exciting stuff that happens. There's, there's mysteries to be solved. Oh, as I say, mysteries to be solved too. Can I talk really briefly about, I just saw one of the most fun things, and I, I can't tell if I love it or hate it. Disney's Chip and Dale, the Rescue Rangers movie just came out and I watched it and I enjoyed it so much. It was one of my favorite movies I've seen in a long time. I also gave a rewatch to The Matrix 4 Matrix Resurrection, which let's write in to tell me whether you think that is a sequel or a reboot or just a brand new kind of storytelling way. I feel bad that I had watched the first I had watched The Matrix 4 back when it first came out, and I sort of felt ambivalent to it because I think I was distracted and I had been doing other things. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, this is a, this is a thing. And then I decided, you know what, I don't, I don't like it. And I called my buddy Nick, and I, I asked him for his opinion on it, and he said it was an amazing movie. Now... I feel bad because I feel like I'm about to sound like I was susceptible to peer pressure, but maybe I was. I like to believe that I gave it a very unbiased reviewing, not reviewing, I gave it an unbiased second watch viewing. I re-viewed it. And this time I tried to not be as distracted Previously, for the last couple of years, every time I was watching a movie or something, I would often be engaged in doing certain work while I was trying to double up. I, I never just sat and watched a movie, so I mostly absorbed them and I heard them, and that's what I had done to The Matrix the first time. This time, I just decided I'm going to sit and I'm going to watch The Matrix for Resurrections. It was amazing. 
I think, let's say, now, the only reason I'm going to give it this score is because I need to give Chippendale Rescue Rangers a score relative. I feel like if Matrix 4 was a 9 out of 10 movie, then Rescue Rangers was like a 9.5 out of 10 movie. Now, I know that this probably sets me up to for a lot of criticism for people to say this is not a very good take on movies. I'm going to say these are my personal Rotten Tomato unsubstantiated reviews of how much I enjoyed them. These were the kind of movies that spoke to exactly the kind of story that I like to have. And I think also that was the kind of story I like to, to experience because I'm a product of what media is right now. Elder millennials that are existing during Generation Z often really like uh, sort of the meta reference of these things that acknowledge what they are. We like to see things that don't take themselves to be so serious like that they exist in a bubble where they um, don't know that they are movies. They don't know that they are TV shows. It's, it's also a thing, it's this weird, it, it's sort of like kayfabe in wrestling. And I've never liked that word. Conceptually, I like the word a lot. Um, but I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I, I feel like I've heard it pronounced kayfabe, and I always want to say kayfab. But I'm just going off of people that I've heard more authoritatively use the word, even though I've never used the word. But it's sort of, so, so if you're not familiar with the uh, concept of kayfabe, um, it's basically, it's the facade. It's sort of like the overall philosophical gimmick. It's the metaphorical mask of wrestling, and people like to know what happens behind that. So let's talk about a second one of my favorite Celebrities. A lot of people know that I am a fan of the professional wrestler CM Punk. And he got to be very popular because he was very... Uh, he had a very meta gimmick. But sort of some of that, too, I feel people liked him because he was so good at it. They, we, ne we never knew. And I'll, I'll say, like, I don't know. I don't follow the, the wrestling trades or podcasts or anything. But we're, we would always be like, is he breaking kayfabe? Is... Is he talking about real business of back when he was with WWE, like WWE going ons or stuff? When he he uh, had a a famous promo that he shot that, um, where he was like, "Hey, I'm gonna go to a different uh, wrestling promotion. I don't know. I'm done with WWE." Like, it, and eventually he did get fired. But um, even people were sort of speculating, like, was that part of the storyline? And apparently it wasn't. I mean, this is this is part of those weird things like, will we ever know? But, like, he... That... That pretending to break the fourth wall and talk to fans about what was really going on behind the scenes in the business world was part of the kayfabe, uh, but it was also part of what might actually have been going on. And so I'm saying this... That is sort of how savvy media consumers are today we don't just watch a movie and enjoy it for being an isolated piece of entertainment. 
Some people do. And I think that actually could tie into our discussion about like a Rotten Tomatoes review versus an IMDb versus a Metacritic versus a Google versus, you know, uh, versus people's opinions on these things. Right? Um, but the Matrix film, Matrix 4, Resurrection, and Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers are movies that I, I would say uh, at least somewhat broke kayfabe in I've, I've now said the word that I was dreading so many times that if I am saying it incorrectly and anybody does know the word then they will probably be irritated just to unspeakable levels now but you know these movies the the matrix not to give a, any spoiler alerts but they actually portray Warner Brothers, right? The studio that, that made the movie as the bad guy. And Chippendale Rescue Rangers portrays Disney as the bad guy. The companies, like not, not that the villains came from the studio, the studio are the bad guys. Now, why do I give Chippendale Rescue Rangers 0.5 more than I give The Matrix? Maybe they're the same, too. Part of the reason is because when we do break down that what happened behind the scenes, I think the story of The Matrix is a little more interesting, too. I think the story of The Matrix has a little bit more in common with like the story of Christopher Nolan and uh, ba uh, The Dark Knight Rises and why that was the weakest of a really great Batman franchise. And I'm saying that again, that's it was like Godfather 3. Um, actually, the Christopher Nolan Batmans very much mirrors the trajectory of what I think a lot of people feel about Batman the, the Christopher Nolan. Let's do another quick list. Let's count down the top Christopher Nolan directed sequels to Batman Begins, the Batman reboot Christopher Nolan trilogy. Um, in number two, the second best sequel to The Batman Begins, and arguably the worst of the trilogy, unless it was your favorite, uh, we have The Dark Knight Rises. And in number one, the number one sequel to Batman Begins. Drum roll. The Dark Knight. Which is also an example of exactly like I was talking about earlier. I like when sequels change the name of the movie. It wasn't Batman Begins 2. It wasn't Batman 2. It was The Dark Knight. Batman Begins. The sequel was The Dark Knight. I didn't even know that they were sequels when I first saw them. Um, because I didn't actually know I was watching The Dark Knight when I first watched it. Also, The Batman. That Okay, no, let's not even get into that. We don't have time to get into that. But what we were talking about, about how 
I think The Matrix 4... Actually, so The Matrix 4 might even become a better movie than it was, and it might even become a more respected movie than it was. Part of the reason the original Matrix, and I think the first Matrix was a great movie. The original Matrix is a great movie not only in that it was a super fun movie. Let's let's take all our movie critic hats off for a second. Even though I don't think you have to because I think it it did very well. It was it was a phenomenon movie. It uh spurred several sequels and now this franchise reboot sequel boot um but did we just coin the term sequel boot? Anyway, it was fun, but it was groundbreaking for the time, both in special effects and sort of bringing a very uh, Eastern style of visual medium storytelling to a very Western uh, myth- mythology-based fantasy sci-fi hero's journey, right? Which, ironically, was also, if you look at the the character arc of Neo during the trilogy, is the most Eastern story of all time because it was based on a story that really happened in the Middle East. But because there's very sort of messianic uh, allegory in the tale of, of The Matrix. But if we're just taking The Matrix 1 as a film, uh, it was a very groundbreaking film and it changed a lot of ways that special effects happen and sort of our current day sci-fi fantasy stories happen. Now let's flash forward to the current day where we live in a world where Matrix Resurrections happen. Matrix Resurrections, I, and I believe, I, I can't say this for 100% sure, and it, it also built on a culture of, of media that is in a post-Dan Harmon world. You have shows like Community. You have shows like Rick and Morty, both Dan Harmon shows. Um, you, you know, you have Joss Whedon shows, shows like Angel, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Was that a Joss Whedon show too? I don't know, but I know that uh, Angel was. I think he did the, the whole thing. I'm not sure. But you have shows and movies that are aware that they are movies, right? And so it has cultivated a sense in... Consumers, like myself, it's like I need that kind of awareness now because that's what I'm used to. You know, every era of media is sort of characterized by its its own sort of aesthetic and narrative sense. Last night we were even briefly watching the beginning of a 1996 Woody Allen film called Everyone Says I Love You. And I that's one of my favorite movies because it is a very old-school-style musical, but it is also a very uh, Woody Allen comedy. It sort of, again, has a same meta-awareness that it is a musical, uh, which musicals sort of learned that they had to do. One of my favorite Disney movies, Enchanted, actually has a moment where one of the characters is sort of like, how does everybody know the words to this song, right? So he is aware that he is in a musical. So you you have this growing awareness that media needs to know that it is, in fact, media. And that is where I think The Matrix 4 really enters the picture and is going to be a groundbreaking film in the sense that this is a movie that not only had the awareness that it was a movie, 
it literally says that it is a movie in the movie. And I really, I'm trying not to, to give anything away. If you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend it. I would highly recommend ignoring the reviews and what people thought of it because it was not appreciated for what it was. And in fact, it w I feel like we were given exactly what we needed and wanted but aren't able to accept that we want or need. Right? Um, and so that is what it is. And now you have Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which does a very similar thing. And I think it's very interesting that it is a Disney movie to do that second, because I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not saying I haven't researched this, I've looked into it, but it's something I don't totally understand, the connection, the overlap between Disney and Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers is not a Disney company, but several, but a number of the projects Warner Brothers projects are, I guess, like some sort of weird joint effort. And you can see that in a lot of the references that happen in Chippendale Rescue Rangers for these intellectual properties that I, I believe extend beyond properties owned by the Disney company. I'm not 100% sure because there's a lot of legalese in there that I don't understand and I don't follow the the Hollywood trades as closely as I would like. Um, oh, the Deadpool movies. That is another great example. Um, the Marvel movies, uh, a little bit, not as much completely, but then, then comes along Deadpool and you have a character who is absolutely talking about being in a movie. Maybe that invalidates my whole argument about The Matrix 4. Um, I don't know. Maybe we should talk about the meta. How, how much would I love to have fourth wall breaks with Pat looking at the camera and or, or narration over it, and, you know, like in the scene where he's like, it can still be a date if if you order Raisin Bran, and then he just looks in the camera and he's like, but it's not, uh, even though it was. So I don't know. Um, I don't know. There's like way too much to get into, and we really need to wrap this up here because it's okay, there's going to be 98 more parts to this special 100-parter. But let us know what you think. If you have any thoughts on this, email us at thesilverliningsplaycast at gmail.com or we're on all the social media or, if, you know, or you could probably just text or call me too about your thoughts about some of the question reacts. All right, um, hopefully, this is kind of crazy. I didn't expect to get this one out on time, but y'all deserved it and we did it and something done is better even if it's done poorly, then something that is not done. So let's let's call it wraps just a couple minutes early so we can make sure that this is the best podcast that we do this week of all time. All right? Tune in next week and every week as long as we keep doing this for uh, all the latest on Silver Linings Playbook and the Silver Linings Playbook. And until next time, we will see you down the road at Excelsior. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is the forest, the other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a silver linings play cast.